Mark's going to read for us just a moment. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 48. That's page 41 on the, uh, the black Bibles that are sitting on the chairs if you don't have one. Genesis 48, page 41. Just want to take a moment this morning before we start, and I want to ask you just to consider, don't have to say it out loud, but just consider in your own hearts, what are you expecting to happen over the next 30 minutes or so? What are you anticipating? What are you looking forward to? What are you expecting? What do you think is going to happen in the next 30 minutes as we're gathered here together? Are you hoping to be entertained? Are you hoping to learn and become smarter? Are you hoping to laugh at some good jokes? Kind of hope not, because I don't think I'm going to be able to do any of those things, at least not very well for you this morning. But, me, just a man, I love God, I've been saved by grace, and I love you all. And I want you to know God more. I want me to know God more. I want us to see him a little bit more for what he really is like and for us to grow in our affections toward him. And so this morning, I'm not sure what you are anticipating or expecting to happen, but my prayer, my hope for all of us, is that we would grow in our love and our understanding, our appreciation of who God is. That we would leave here and say, I I see God a little bit more than I did when I came in, and that that would impact our hearts. That we'd be changed because of that. So I would encourage you, can't force you obviously, but I would encourage you right now to anticipate that. Expect that. Expect the Holy Spirit to interact with your heart and to show you a little bit more of who God is. Expect your affections to be stirred up toward the God of the universe. Because I believe he loves to do that. And I believe he can do that. And I believe he will do that. And so that's my hope this morning. Mark, if you want to go ahead and come on up, read Genesis chapter 48 for us, please. Genesis 48. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. And Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make you a company of peoples and will give you this land, give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who are born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. As for me... When I came from Padem, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way. And there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. 
And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim and his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them my name will be carried on, and the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it to Eph- from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, uh, Not this way, father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. And Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you, rather than your brothers, one mountain slope, I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. This is the word of the Lord. Let me just pray for a moment. God, help us to know you more. Help us to love you more. Holy Spirit, we ask you to work in our hearts right now. We ask that you would come, fill this place. I pray that you would use my words, Lord, to proclaim your glories, that we would grow in our affection and our worship for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are coming to the end of Genesis 48. I was looking at it. Do you guys believe we've been in Genesis for like almost two years? (laughs) Yeah. We're coming to Genesis 48, and Jacob which is it's a little bit confusing because it goes back and forth here. Jacob's been renamed to Israel, okay? Jacob, the father of Israel. So he's referred to as Jacob. You also hear him referred to as Israel. He's dying. He's coming down to the end of his life. He's lived, by our standards, a long life. He's over 100 years old. Um, and before he dies, though, he's got something important on his mind. It seems like he's, he's physically very frail. He can't see basically at all, as we'll get more detail in. And it says that he even has to basically muster up all of his strength just to sit up in bed. So the end is coming, and he knows it, his family knows it, and there's something important that he wants to do, something in his mind that he wants to make sure happens, and that is he wants to make sure that he passes on the blessing that's been passed to him to the people that God tells him. He wants to make sure that this blessing is passed on. And basically this whole passage is primarily... Uh, Jacob talking. You know, if you can see it, I highlighted in blue on my page just the parts where Jacob is speaking. Jacob is primarily talking in this passage, and he's talking about who God is, and he's talking about the blessing. So this morning, we're going to talk about God, 
and his blessing. Okay? It made it pretty easy for me. Um, before we talk about blessing more, though, I want to just define what I mean by blessing. I was talking with Judah this morning. We were driving in, just saying, what does it mean to be blessed? I mean, we hear that all the time. It's a little bit more of a throw-around phrase now about hashtag blessed or shirts that say blessed, coffee cups that say blessed. What do we mean by blessed? Specifically, what do we mean in this passage by God's blessing? Um, I took a stab at it, studied, and this is my, uh, the Tyler definition of it. You can replace it with your own, but I think it's helpful for us to get in our minds. What are we talking about when we say blessing? I think it's the same sense that we use in our normal day-to-day language. I just said, God is the source. Sorry, I said, to be given, to be blessed means to be given what you really want. Or to be blessed means to be made better off than you were previously. Or to be blessed, uh, to be given what satisfies you. And all of these, the point I'm trying to kind of drag out a little bit, it's not just getting stuff. Getting blessed isn't just getting something. It's getting something that you want. So, for example, I might say, I was blessed last Christmas because I got a Makita tool set. But I probably wouldn't say I was blessed last Christmas because I received a sewing kit. Even if they were maybe worth the same amount, if I could have gone and sold them for the same price, in my heart, in my feeling, I would probably say that I felt blessed because I got the Makita tool set because it was something I wanted, something that I enjoy, something that I thought that I would, would satisfy what I wanted. The sewing kit, maybe for some, would, but for me, just wouldn't, wouldn't quite cut it. So there's this tie in being blessed, in receiving something that we want to have. It means being given what you maybe really want. So as we go through this passage, I think there's really three, three primary points, three things I'm just going to hop between about God and blessing. And they are this. God is the source of blessing. God's blessing transcends our understanding. And God is the heart of blessing. God is the source of blessing. God's blessing transcends understanding. And God is the heart of blessing. Of blessing. We're just going to work through those one at a time. So the first, God is the source of blessing. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 3 with me. Verse 3, this is Jacob talking. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, you with me? Okay. Verse 3, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. Just stop there for a moment. Who appeared to who in this in this passage. God appeared to Jacob. Jacob didn't initiate what happened here. You see that? God appeared to Jacob. And if you remember, this is referring back to chapter 35, where God just shows up to Jacob. He renames him. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a multitude of people. And the only point I'm going to make here is that it was God that did the initiation. It wasn't Jacob. Jacob didn't get good enough. Jacob didn't pray hard enough. Jacob didn't live a righteous life in such a way that God was like, ooh, this guy... No, God just shows up to Jacob. God initiates. Look at verse 15 with me. Verse 15 is where Jacob is actually pronouncing the blessing. He's pronouncing this blessing to his grandsons. We'll dig into this a little bit more in a moment. But the main point I want to make here, as we see Jacob as doing the blessing, right? Verse 15, and he, that's Jacob, blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. So even in this case, this is where Jacob is the one blessing his child and grandchildren, 
Who's actually is Jacob calling on to do the blessing? It's still God. So God initiates the blessing to Jacob. And then also we see here an example of God is the one that's actually the only source that can provide the blessing in the first place. Jacob is calling on God. Jacob is pronouncing the blessing on his grandchildren. But Jacob doesn't have the power to make them into a multitude. Jacob can't make God's presence go with them. It's God that he's calling on. God is the source. As I was trying to think of just a way to picture this in my head, I was thinking, picture yourself as a beach ball. All right? You're a beach ball, and you're in the middle of a pool, and there's no wind or anything like that. It's a hot summer day, and you're just planted right in the center of that pool, just floating around in your little beach ball self. And you think to yourself, boy, I really wish I could be over at the diving board right now. I would love to be there. And you're just floating. You can't make yourself get to the diving board. Even if you want it as much as you can, you can't say, oh, hey, wind, I'm ready to go to the diving board now. Let's go. What gets you moving at all if you're a beach ball in this context? The wind. The wind has to come and has to initiate pressure against you to push you in some part of that pool. So the wind gets you going. The second part, though, is also once you get moving in your beach ball self, can you choose if you want to head to the diving board versus the steps or out of the pool or to the deep end or wherever? No, that's the wind as well. The wind is initiating you being moved, and the wind is causing you to move in exactly the way that you are going to move. Obviously, the analogy breaks down, but I think the point I'm trying to make there is it's so it is with our being blessed by God. We're the beach ball. God blessing us is the wind. He initiates it. He causes it. He's the source. He's the power. He's everything that is blessing to our lives. It's nothing that we can do on our own. We can't make God bless us. We can't cause him to bless us. We can't predict or tell him how he's going to bless us. God blesses us solely based on himself, not based on ourself. But unlike the beach ball, thankfully, God is intentionally blessing you. He's not just a force or a power that's randomly out there like the wind governed by some weather patterns or temperature differential. He's a God that knows you. He knows you. He loves you. And so when he blesses you, he is coming and finding you. He's making himself known to you. And he is then giving you the blessings that he's pronouncing over you. And I think this can be a good help for us because it reminds us that Our blessing is not based on our performance. It's not based on just how good you are. You're not earning anything. We come to God as just as we are. God's the one that initiates the blessing. He's the coming to Jacob. He's the one that's providing for Jacob. So this morning, I pray that you believe that God is the source of your blessing. God is the one that will make you more satisfied. God is the one that can and will give you what you really want. I think we can just for a moment stand in amazement that the God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, who holds everything together, comes after us to bless us. It should blow our minds. All right, number two. God's blessing transcends understanding. Let me unpack that for a moment. We don't use transcends a lot, but I think this is a really good word uh, for this context. Transcends means to go beyond. 
to overflow, to be over, to be on top of, to not be able to be contained by. God's blessing cannot be contained by our understanding. It is not governed by or come into rule or authority or underneath of our understanding. It's outside of our understanding. Let me show you what I mean by that also in this passage. Look with me at verse 4. So this is when Jacob is recounting the blessing that he received from God. Verse 4, he says this. This is what God is saying to Jacob. Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. So from a human perspective, we would say God has promised to bless Jacob. He's going to be with him. He's going to bless him. He's going to make him fruitful and multiply. So wouldn't you say then that means that everything in Jacob's life is going to go well now? God is with him. God is good. God is powerful. So everything's going to go right. But look at verse 9. I'm sorry, in verse 7. Look at verse 7. I think this is here on purpose. I think Jacob is pushing this up against the blessing he received from God. As for me, when I came from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath. This is while he's being blessed by God. This is after God has already come and promised to be with him. And from a human perspective, I think we would say certainly if God was with him, if God was blessing him, then Rachel wouldn't have died. His love, we know that Jacob loved his wife, Rachel. He even still says, to his sorrow, she died. And really, if we extend that, we would say really nothing in Jacob's life went well. Right? We've heard, we've been recounted what happened to him with the, the turmoil with his brother working for his uncle. I mean, even right now, where is he? He's not in his own land. He had to go over to Egypt because there was such a famine in his own land that he has no more food. And now he's dying at a, basically a strange land. Does that sound like God's blessing him? Does that sound like things are going well? From a human perspective, I would say it doesn't seem like it. God's blessing transcends our understanding. And sometimes God's blessing includes trials. It includes trials. Also, I think sometimes God's blessing includes confusion. This is linked to our understanding. It confuses us. Look at verse 14. Israel, that's Jacob, stretched out, stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. You just got to picture the scene here, right? This is, this is an old guy. He can't see. He can hardly sit up. He's sitting on the edge of his bed, and he's supposed to be blessing his grandsons. He says, I want them to be the blessed ones. And in those days, the right hand, if you were blessing with your right hand, that would be the primary blessing is going to this person that I place my right hand on. And that would generally be reserved for the oldest child. The oldest son is where the blessing would go. And so as he's blind, Je Joseph brings forward his grandchildren. He says he even, even has to ask who they are because he can't see them. And he crosses his hands like this and blesses them. By human perspective, it makes no sense. Why would you do that? It goes against our culture. It goes against reasoning. This is not the stronger of the two children. This is not the way it's supposed to work. This isn't the way it's supposed to be done. And Joseph seems to get that. Joseph is like, uh-huh, 
Dad, hey, you have your arms crossed. You probably don't understand what's going on right now. And what does Jacob say? I know. I know, my son. He knows exactly what he was doing. But even to Joseph, God chose the wrong person. God's blessing transcends our understanding. It's outside of our understanding. This is hard for us to kind of grapple with because by definition, we don't understand it. So we have to be sort of just sitting in this place of saying, I don't understand why God is doing this, but he is actually blessing in this case. And if we think through the rest of scripture, we see example after example after example after example of God doing things in a way that doesn't make any sense to people. Right? Think through Moses bringing the Israelites out of the promised land. He brings them out. They're victorious. The Pharaoh finally says, get out of here. I can't take it anymore. And they all leave and they're feeling so good. And they come up to the Red Sea and they're stuck. That's it. That's the end of the Israelites, so it seems. If God was so powerful in leading them out and leading them from Pharaoh and sending them with plundering Egypt, wouldn't he have given them an easy road out? But instead, he takes them to the edge of the sea and now they're completely trapped on all sides. What about God selecting David as a king, the youngest, the puny little shepherd boy, using him to defeat Goliath? What about Gideon's armies who God just shrank and shrank and shrank and shrank and shrank and shrank and shrank, finally down to the size where there's no way they could have won on their own? What about God selecting a bunch of fishermen, smelly, uneducated fishermen, to proclaim the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ and launch the New Testament. Does that make any sense at all? What about God sending his son, having him be murdered by people, having done nothing wrong, and having him be nailed to a cross? God's blessing is completely outside of our reasoning. It transcends our reasoning. And this morning, church, I want to tell you that God's blessing probably won't match your plans right now. God's blessing for you probably isn't going to match what you're expecting or what you would hope or dream to have happen in your life. We're limited. We're finite. What's more than that is we don't even really know what we really want. I was thinking about that a little bit this week and remembering something when I was a child. So when I was little, maybe seven or eight, I don't know. My mom used to make cakes sometimes, and she would, probably wouldn't like me saying this, but she would buy icing from the store, if that's a bad thing to do, I don't know. She would buy icing from the store, and she would ice the cake, and then the rest of the icing, like the Pillsbury, you know, little can or whatever, would sit in the fridge. And I remember, I was like, yes, there's a little bit left. Go over there, open the fridge up, take a spoon, just take a big old dollop of that, and just eat that icing, just straight up icing. It's like the best thing I've ever tasted in my entire life. It's like there could be no greater pleasure than eating this icing right now. And I remember the thought. I remember it saying, when I am old enough to have my own house and my own refrigerator and my own bank account, I am going to buy icing and fill my refrigerator with that. I'm going to eat icing every day. Who's going to stop me? Why would I not do this? This is the best food I've ever had in my entire life. This is the best thing. This is all that I want. Now, thankfully... I wasn't able to do that. If I was, I don't even know if I'd be alive right now today, right? There's not nourishment in that icing. I would be sick. I would be lethargic. I'd be in terrible shape at the very least right now, not to mention the size I could be. 
My point is, what I thought I wanted more than anything, and in itself there was nothing wrong with it, but what I thought I wanted more than anything was icing to eat. What I really needed was real food, real nourishment. And in the same way, I think often we don't know what we really want. Part of God's blessing is his shaping, gently bringing us into line with what we really want, not just what we think we want. This can be really hard when it seems that what we want is really good for us. When by all accounts, it's in line with what God's word says, it seems to be a good want. But remember, Jacob's love of his life died while God was blessing him. Some of you here this morning know the pain and the confusion of not getting what you feel like you really want even a good thing. You know what it feels like to pray and want something so badly, to pray and long and ask and wait patiently only to have God seemingly say, no, or not right now, or not that way. Friend, I want to remind you this morning that God is not far off. He's not withholding blessing from you if that's where you are right now. He sees you, and he knows you. He knows what pain, he knows what suffering is like. Jesus walked on this earth, remember. He suffered and died. So even amidst the tears and the struggle and the confusion, we might not have the answer of why, but we can still say, God, you are good. You're blessing me. You're near. I don't understand. Your blessing transcends what I can understand. And I don't understand this. We can cry out like the psalmist does over and over again, Lord, how long? But even while feeling that sorrow and that pain, we can still say, God, I know you're blessing me. I know you're here for me. Church, I pray this morning that you would believe that God's blessing for you is not as you expect, but believe also that maybe it's way better than what you expect. Believe that God can and will truly satisfy you. Not just pacify you. Not just distract you. Not just give you a little blip of a high. But truly satisfy your soul in what you really need and what you really want. Point number three. God is the heart of your blessing. So God is the source of blessing. God's blessing transcends our understanding. We don't always get it. And point number three, God is the heart of blessing. This is my favorite part. This is my favorite thing as I was studying and reading and praying, but it took a little time to get. So just hang with me. I think there's some great gold here. We're going to read through the blessing, verse 15 and 16. Jacob's passing on the blessing from Ephraim and Manasseh from him to his grandchildren. And so we actually, in 15 and 16, we hear what he says. This is him describing and giving the blessing to his grandchildren. This is him passing on the blessing that he's received. This is sort of the big part of this chapter, is what Jacob says to his grandchildren. So as we read this, I want you to be thinking in your head, what is Jacob talking about the most? What is he describing here as he's describing this blessing? All right, you ready? Verse 15. And he, that's Jacob, blessed Joseph and said, 
the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. What is Jacob primarily describing and talking about in that blessing? Maybe I should say, who is Jacob primarily talking about or describing in that blessing? It's God. He doesn't go on and describe and say, the God who gave me riches, prosperity, many children, a land of an inheritance, the God who let me see you, Joseph, today, even after I thought you were dead, He doesn't describe any of the things that he got. He describes his relationship with God. As Jacob is dying, as he's recounting his whole life, as he looks back on everything that he's been through and what God has done and what he's received and what he's built for himself, what is he most concerned with describing as he's passing on this blessing? He talks about God. Verse 15, he says, The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. I love that. The God who has been my shepherd. This is extra cool when you realize that God has never been described as a shepherd ever in the history of man up until this point. This is the first time. Now Jacob, as we just learned about a couple weeks ago, Jacob and his family, they knew sheep, right? They were shepherds. That's what they did, remember? And as Jacob is considering, well, what shall I describe my relationship to God as like? Come up with anything. He says, well, I guess I'm like a sheep. I'm dumb. I can't feed myself. I can't find water. I can't protect myself. I don't know where I'm going half the time. And God, he's like my shepherd who protects me and directs me and feeds me and cares for me and does everything virtually for me. This is the first time. God is Jacob's shepherd. Jacob considers himself a sheep And God, his shepherd, of all the things that he could have described, of all the things he's received from God, one of the things he counts as paramount is that God is his shepherd. Next, he says, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. That's the angel of the Lord. That's God as well. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Guess what? This is the first time that God is described as a redeemer in Scripture. First time. As Jacob looks back on his life and thinks about all the pain that he's endured, all the suffering, the death of his wife, he could have said, the God who has given me wealth, the God who has given me children, has given me status, has given me food. Though all that's true, he thinks, the God who has redeemed me from all evil. Working for Laban, losing his son, losing his home in a famine. God has redeemed it all. God has bought it all back. God has made it all right. God has turned it all into good. God is Jacob's shepherd. God is Jacob's redeemer. And that's what Jacob counts as a blessing. And then one more. Look at verse 21 with me. Verse 21 is toward the end. This is where Jacob is blessing his son Joseph. And it's really kind of like his parting words with his son Joseph. Jacob tells Joseph that his consolation, that Joseph's consolation and blessing is that, what does he say? God will what? God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Hey, Joseph, I'm dying. I'm leaving you. 
And my parting words, the things I want you to know, the blessing I want you to have, the comfort I want you to experience is not that, don't worry, I've set up a really good trust for you and your brothers and you're going to be taken care of forever and ever. Or don't worry, I can tell that you're very fertile and you're going to have tons of children and they're going to fill the earth. What's the first thing he says to him? God will be with you. That's the blessing. God will be with you. And I think that's the heart of the blessing that Jacob experienced. God's presence in his life. It's as if Jacob can't describe the blessing without describing God. He can't decouple the two things. He's been blessed by God by knowing God. God's blessing to Jacob was God himself, not the stuff that he gave Jacob. Church, this morning, I want to remind us that you were created You were created with one thing that can truly satisfy you. One thing that you really want more than anything. One thing that's a perfect size hole in your heart that you were created to have, and that is God himself. God is what you want more than anything else. It's true. God is what you want more than anything. Food cannot satisfy you completely. Sex cannot satisfy you completely. Money cannot satisfy you completely. All of those things will turn up empty. And I could give example and example and example and example of how things in this world, things that we think we really want, like icing, aren't bad in themselves, but how they ultimately still fall short of something. And what they fall short of is God. What we were made to want, what we were made to desire and to long for is God himself. Church, he is our shepherd. He's the one that knows us and cares for us and leads us and protects us. And thankfully, he knows that we don't see what we want as we ought. Just like a good shepherd, he knows that we are at times blind and dumb and chased after things that we shouldn't. He's tenderly and purposely showing you, maybe even this morning, that you don't really want the stuff that's around you. You don't really want all these other things. What you want more than anything is more God. If you really want to be satisfied, if you really want to be happy, it's God. And God is our redeemer as well. He often uses pain. He often uses suffering. He often uses trials. as part of his blessing to show us more of himself. He knows that I would just sit there spoonful after spoonful of icing into my face if I didn't have a bellyache to say, wow, this, this doesn't seem like this is actually really the end of my, everything I'm made for is this spoon of icing. I'm made for more than that. God redeems the evil things that happen in our lives as part of his blessing. He blesses us through the pain and the trials, not despite them, through them, with them, using them, molding us, approaching us, speaking to us, caring for us. Galatians 3, 13 and 14 was one of our memory verses. I think we have it up on the screen. Here's that redeemed word. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, listen to this part, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of wealth and ease and comfort through faith. No. No. 
what do we receive? Ultimately, what are we receiving? The promised spirit. We're receiving God himself. Receiving God. That's the promise. That's the blessing that God has in store for us. He has more of himself. He offers himself to us. The blessing is receiving God himself. So, simple question, do you want God? Do you want more God? Do you want peace? God is the prince of peace. Do you want rest? God provides eternal rest. Do you want joy? He offers joy forevermore. Do you want to have a purpose in your life? God tells you why you were created. Do you want to feel accomplished? Well, guess what? God has work set out for you to walk in. Do you want hope for the future? God has already won the victory and tells us how it ends. And the list goes on and on and on and on. God is the heart of the blessing. These other things are good. There's nothing wrong with them. We can enjoy and love food. But the whole point is that when we enjoy and love food, we're supposed to then push past the good food and say, oh, and God gave that to me. God gave me the taste buds to enjoy that. God gave me the money to be able to go to the grocery store to buy the food for that. God's provided for my needs. God loves me so much that he's given me the feeling of pleasure when I get to share a meal with other people. God did that. The food didn't do that. The food couldn't do that. The food can't fully satisfy me, but I can enjoy food and push past that and say, wow, God is the provider. God is the real thing that satisfies me. And everything in life works the same way. It's all provided by God for us to enjoy God more. It's all provided by God for us to see more of who he is and taste him and experience him and drink him in and be satisfied, really satisfied with who he is. Do you see what's being offered here? This isn't just a short, fleeting high. This isn't just the next TV show to watch that we can get excited about. We're talking about the God of the universe. We're talking about the one who created you, who's keeping your heart beating right now, who's keeping the sun just in location where it is so we don't burn up. Creator God of the universe is offering himself to you right now to satisfy you, to be your everything, to make you happy. To finally offer what you really want. He says, it's here. I'm available. And it's because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, you've been offered access to God himself. The blessing that you really want, that we really want, is God himself. And if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't be able to get to him. We'd be separated from God. In fact, we'd be under his wrath. God would be against us if it wasn't for Jesus. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins and gives us wide open access to the God of the universe so that no longer are we standing opposed or against him, but he says, come to me. You're my children. I want to bless you. I want to love you. I want to show you who I am and what I'm like. I want you to enjoy me because I made you to enjoy me. That's what we get to do. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be a believer. And that's why we can walk through hard things like trials. We can walk through death. We can walk through suffering. We can walk through not getting the temporal things that we think we want. And we can still say, but I'm satisfied in God. He's good. He's here. He's blessing me. 
All it takes is belief in Jesus, and God will be your blessing. Your blessing forevermore. One more passage in closing. Hebrews 11.21 actually talks about this moment in Genesis. The writer of Hebrews says this, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Jacob had faith in blessing. He had faith in God. He believed that God was who he said he was. He had experienced God. And so he had faith in God. And then what did he do? What was the culmination of that? What was the right response to faith in believing in God's blessing? It was worship. He saw God for who God was. He received the blessing of God, not the stuff. He received God himself. And what does he do? Bam, down, worship. I got nothing to offer. I can't give you anything. But I see, I see who you are, and I know that you are everything that I want, and I am before you in worship. If we believe that God is who he really says he is, then worship is the response. It is the response. Church, this morning, I pray that you believe that you were made to worship and love God more than anything. That you believe that God is the source of the blessing in your life, who has come after you. And though his blessings don't look like what we expect or what we want or even don't follow according to our plans, we can see that in those blessings, it's God himself that he offers. It's God himself that satisfies us. It's God himself that is the blessing to us. So is God more glorious to you now? I pray he is. I know as I was studying and reading and praying this week, more than anything, I think I was just like, wow, God, you're bigger than I imagine. You're more good than I think. You're everything that I want. He's everything, church. He's everything. He's the only one that can satisfy you. The only one. Nothing else can. Everything else falls short. Everything else is like just an arrow pointing. Sorry, not me. It's God. Not me. It's God. Not this situation. It's God. He's the one. He's the one that satisfies us. And he offers himself to satisfy us forevermore, forevermore. We just pray. God, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you have come to us to initiate blessing. I thank you that you sought us thank you that you offer us what we really need and what we really want, which is more of you. Lord, I pray that we would learn what that means. I pray that we would be changed in tomorrow, tonight, this week. How do we live more like we are being blessed by the presence of God? How do we live more like God is our everything that satisfies us? God, help us to grow 
and our love for you. Help us to grow in our wonder of you and your glory and help us to grow in worshiping you as a response. We love you, Lord. Just spend a couple moments before we sing. Just encourage you, just, just talk to God. Just, just pray to him. Maybe just listen. Reflect on this passage. Think about the blessings of God. Think about who he is, what he's done.